ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I need to add like jingle bells on it, you know, tis the season. That would be great, actually. Yeah, should we do that? You think you can do that? Yeah. You comf- yeah, that would be really funny, actually. You know what? Scarecrow Bo did a one-off reunion show recently, They're and I missed it. One. No, no, I think I'm... Oh, are they doing another I one? I think they're doing another one. They're yeah, just not... Good, saw it yeah, the, the last good. time until the next time. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How's it going? This is uh, this is Bitch and Brew, a podcast about music, life, and uh, everything in between. Um, it's been a little while, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it has. It's been a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm Danny Random, by the way. He's Brad Thorne. Hello. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> It kind of feels like the, uh, you know when they used to do like the little intros to the episodes of the Mighty Boosh, like mm. in the first series? Yeah, I'm Howard Moon, this is Vince Noir. Hello. <laughs> um, it was very Noel, it was very Noel Fielding of you. Yeah. Um, but this is a very special episode. Uh, you know, we, we've been a little bit inactive mm-hmm. of late. Um, some, you know, regular listeners of the podcast may have noticed that and... I don't even want to say sorry because you know it's it's not for a lack of trying, is it? It's yeah, just and we're actual human people, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With actual human lives. It, life has just got a little bit busy of late, and mm-hmm. you know some things just had to come first at the end of the day, didn't they? Yeah. Um, but we're back, um, and we couldn't really round off the year without fulfilling um, a now annual tradition on Bitch and Brew. This is the fourth. Uh, annual albums of the year special. Yeah. Uh, the albums of 2019, the last year of the tens or the the teens or the what are you calling it? The 2010s. The 2010s. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably better, isn't it, the than teens. the 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 tweenies? <laughs> Who was your favourite tweenie? I can't remember. Was there one called Jake? Yeah. Yeah. Because he was, he was the, the twat with the remember. Mohawk. I'm gonna say there, him. There was Bella, who was the really bossy asshole. <laughs> there was there was Fizz who was just of oh, the loose cannon. Yeah, a bit I of wonder a loose... where she is now. Maybe she went a bit off the rails. Then there was Milo, who was the one always going Fabaruni. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was um, uh, then there was Jake, who was, was the, the, sort the, of... the sort of uh, he was the excitable one with the mohawk, okay. and obviously Doodles. Is that a dog? That was the dog, the <laughs> red and yellow dog. Why do you remember this? So I don't clearly? know. I was more of a Teletubbies guy. Yeah, I mean, we're going well off piste here, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was always more of a Teletubbies. Much kid. more member of the Church of Nunu. <laughs> yeah, Church of. What Nunu. an absolute coke fiend Nunu was <laughs> with that with that suction tube. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. All right. <laughs> yeah, died of a coke overdose. <laughs> That's not why. Still got blocked. We're not really here to talk about kids' TV programs at the end of the day. We are here to talk about uh, the best albums of the year. Um, We're not going to do an albums of the decade show because that is just too much to ask. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we wanted to. We wanted to round off the year uh, with this annual tradition. We couldn't really end the year without it. Um, so for all the kind of inactivity, um, you know, we're we're here now, and that's what matters. Um, so thank you, thank you very much for your patience. And um, you know, it's not just going to be the two of us. 
telling you our albums of the year today. We've each prepared a top 20, which we're going to present to you over two parts. But we're also being joined by some friends of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, some friends that have been on over the, well, over the course of the last couple of years, actually. Some people that have been on the podcast this year. Some of the people that were on some of the very early episodes of the podcast. They're all going to pop round in a bit and we're going to have a lovely old uh, Christmas party. Yeah. Are, are you much of a Christmassy person, Brad? I don't yeah. know if I asked this last year because it's been pretty much a year since I think it's almost a year to the day since we were sat on this very sofa although it's now a new sofa Mm, on this very spot uh, in Bitchin HQ and it was your first time on the podcast doing the albums of 2018 and I can't remember if I asked you then if you were a Christmassy person yeah I think I probably said that I'm quite a jolly Christmas guy Mm. as soon as I get done at work and it's that nice Christmas break I'm full of merry do you get quite a long Christmas break yeah, about just over a week, I think. Oh, that's not too bad nice. then. Yeah. yeah. We just got given Christmas Eve off, which yeah. is... That's still nice. Well, no, uh, we're back in the new year. Like, oh, okay. We were meant to be working Christmas Eve, and mm. now we're not. This is probably really boring for the listeners, isn't it? But um, 2019, um, what is what are, what are your thoughts on the year as a whole? It, it's been a strong year for music. I right. think most years are when you look back. And when you try and put a list together like we've just spent the mm-hmm. last few weeks doing, I think you suddenly realise how good each year actually is and how many yeah. gems there are. It, I think we both agree it started off quite slow. I, I, I definitely agree. I think it was a bit of a stunted start to the year it was, and it kind yeah. of took the first few months to really kind of establish some albums that I'm kind of thinking, is this is this going to stick with me to the point at which we're talking about them at the end of the year? Um, and there are some albums in my top 20 from the kind of early section of the yeah. year, but it wasn't really until about August that it started to really become clear that it was a bit of a sleeper hit of a year, of a year to be Absolutely, honest. Absolutely, yeah. Um... Yeah, I I maybe also feel that there's not as many albums, and you can't really say this without the benefit of hindsight, but I'm not sure I'll look back on this year as having as as many kind of all-time classic albums that I think last year my my sort of top ten was filled with albums that I'm going to look back on. Yeah. That was a real vintage year, and I'm not sure that this year's quite as fine a vintage, but, you know, (laughs) maybe... you know, I, I think last year we'll look back on as a vintage year, Absolutely. 2018 for sure, um, and 2016 as mm, well I thought was a yeah. fantastic year for music. Absolutely, yeah. uh, those, those are kind of the two best years of the 2010s, mm. although that's maybe being a little bit unfair to the first half of the decade. Yeah, I think it's 2014. 2014 was a really good year yeah. as well, so you know, it's kind of been a little bit... It's even numbers only, yeah. but it's not to say that this year hasn't been great. And, right. a, and a bit of a, it's kind of, it's only when you really kind of sit down to draw up these lists that you realise how many good albums there have actually exactly. been. Yeah. Did you find it quite hard to kind of whittle it down to twenty? I did. Yeah, I think the the top ten sort of formed itself. Mm. I think in my mind, I, I knew my ten favourite albums of the year. The back half, yeah, the last ten. We're just constantly shuffling between so many albums that I really, really like. For sure, for yeah. sure. And I mean, I may even like change the order midway through recording, to yeah. be honest. Um, which is going to be really great, because I've written my notes in kind of descending order. It's, um, ascending order. So. It's, I think, quite important, and maybe you feel differently, but I think it's quite important to note that like a top 20 albums of the year is a snapshot of how you feel mm. 
you know, if we were recording this podcast two weeks later, there may well be a different album at number 20. Yeah. Something might dropped a bit lower or gone a bit higher. You just kind of have to stop at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And read it out. So. Mine was kind of earlier this week. I made a snap decision to change my number 20 and I was like, right, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Like, you know, stop trying to second guess yourself. Yeah. Like, that is your number 20. Um, but first of all, let's go through some honourable mentions. Yeah. Uh, you you didn't write a sort of a list of honourable mentions because we always, we make the same mistake every year of basically having honourable mentions as a podcast within itself. Yeah. So let's just rattle through some yeah. some honourable mentions. Do you want to go first? Yeah, um, I've got some honourable mentions. A couple of um, smaller UK bands. Um, I think Ithaca released one of the best debut albums in their genre for a long, long time. Um, and I am quite gutted. It's not in my top 20, but it, it just isn't. It's somewhere in the high, in lower down 20s, 21, 22, 23, something like that. Um, a really, really brilliant album. Um, Nervous, I think, released a great Ooh. album, their best album. I do think you'd it's say best. it's their best. Yeah, whether or not it's my personal favourite mm. is a different conversation that we won't have here. <laughs> yeah, but it is, I think, their their best mm-hmm. album. Um, another one is Knocked Loose. Oh, okay. Yeah, I liked the Knocked Loose album, okay. but I wasn't mad on it. Like, I don't really. See, knocked loose as like the future of hardcore, as, well, ev- as everyone yeah, sees it. Yeah, I'm um, probably not the guy to tell you what the future of hardcore is. <laughs> to be honest, no, we um, need Tim Burke back for that one. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I was very pleasantly surprised by how much I liked that Not Loose album because I, I haven't really been paying attention to them. Um, so that was a real surprise. Yeah, I still think the best moment of that album is when Big Daddy Keith rocks up. <laughs> Keith Buckley. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just the best man on the planet. Um, and I think the biggest honourable mention, uh, just to round it off, is Baroness. Mm, because yeah. um, I think we both agreed it's a really phenomenal album in a lot of ways. It's an incredible album and there's a really a lot to love about it. And I hate to say it, but I just think the way it sounds just edged it out. Oh, really? Of yeah. My top twenty. When I've been back to revisit it, yeah, I just couldn't quite. Something did just click. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you've already mentioned a few of my honorable mentions. There are some friends of the podcast that put out really great albums this year, and mm-hmm. it was you know, like I said, really tough kind of leaving them out. Um, so you've already mentioned Ithaca. Yeah, I think The Language of Injury is a sensational debut. Yeah. And they're even better live. Yes. Um, when we saw them at Arc Tangent, uh, that was... that was. Um, I remember you saying, oh my God, their guitars actually do sound like photocopiers live. <laughs> 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 um, Petrol Girls. Yes, yeah, how did I miss that? Yeah, that's... Uh, is that not in your that's list? That's an honourable mention for me as well. Oh, yeah. wow. Because yeah. I remember you saying at the time we reviewed that, that was like... Essentially, your punk album of the year. Yeah, that that's that's a superb album, and, really, and really that is. was like in the twenty five, I would say. Yeah, uh, Jamie Lemon mm-hmm. with Shuffle. Um, I think I think the concept is brilliant, and while uh, you know not all of the songs really clicked with me, it's it's something you've really got to admire. It's yeah. it's a crazy crazy endeavor that I think did pay off for him, mm-hmm. uh, but some of it just wasn't didn't really click with me personally. Um, Cult Dreams there's a big one uh, that I, I was particularly gutted to miss out some big changes from them on this album some big progressions mm-hmm. um, 
but uh, yeah, unfortunately just didn't make the cut in the end. You know something about 2019 is there were some really big albums out. It's yes. it's been it's been a year for like really big bands uh, of sort of varying sizes, uh, kind of putting out long-awaited albums. Yeah. So you're starting off at kind of like I say big bands. I mean like you know sort of your, your Baronesses yeah. and uh, I really do like that Baron uh, Golden Grey. Uh, I probably still prefer Purple mm-hmm. and Yellow and Green yeah. to to Golden Grey, but that's that's not to say that Golden Grey isn't awesome. Uh, while she sleeps, I actually warmed to a little bit more throughout the year. I think really? it helped when we saw them live. Yeah, uh, and I'm now really excited for Brick next year I'm really really stoked for yeah. that. it's going to be well that bell as well every yeah. time I die I'm vain supporting uh, crazy times uh, but even going up to like festival headliner calibre bands mm-hmm. so one band that put out two records this year that I thought were both like some of the best stuff they've done in years is Foles yeah um, that that didn't make the cut Bring Me The Horizon again another album I kind of warmed to over yeah, time yeah I was surprised that that was sort of even in my head when I came to put this list yeah together. exactly because that came out right at the start of the year yeah. as well that was a January release one of the first records we ever reviewed really yeah. Um, but then, you know, going even bigger, you know, like Biffy Clyro, Balance Not Symmetry, the soundtrack, I've still not seen the film to accompany it, no. but, uh, you know, I thought that was really great record. Rammstein, mm-hmm. uh, and here's the thing, you know, there's, there's kind of a bracket of bands now, uh, Rammstein, Slipknot, and... Uh, probably the biggest shock of the lot, Tool has not made my top 20 of the year. Um, Because I think all three of those albums are superb Mm -hmm. and well worth the wait because it's been a little while waiting for each of them. You know, Slipknot was like about five years. Uh, You know, Rammstein was 10 years and and, well, Tool was 14 years. Um, But I do just think those albums, while great, are just them being them really well. Yeah. Um, and so there wasn't really a huge amount of surprises with it and I just think there are bands who have made better artistic statements this year innovative maybe yes exactly Um, I would also just while you say that like to chuck Korn into that conversation I've not listened to that um, new Korn album yet it it is much like you said about about those three bands their best album in a a long while Mm. um yeah, so I just had to chuck that in there. Yeah, well. yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I said we wouldn't make this a podcast in itself. There are three more albums that I want to shout out. Um, and they're all, I suppose you could put them all in the bracket of extreme albums mm-hmm. um, that, that really sort of narrowly miss the mark. And it's possibly down to personal preference. I like extreme music and I, and I have like uh, a really good experience listening to these records. But I, I always have to be in a certain mindset and these, these records don't really have much of a replay value for me. I'm not scrambling for the, you know, to, to listen to them over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, and those three albums are Samsara by Venom Prison, um, which is just outrageously brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weeping Choir by Full of Hell, which mm. we reviewed on the, the last did, episode yeah. we did, right? Yeah. Uh, feels like ages ago. Yeah. It, it, kind of was ages ago wasn't it um yeah weeping choir is just an absolutely horrific horrible experience listening to that album but somehow it's so good um and the last one i would class as an extreme album despite it not being in kind of like the power violence vein of uh full of hell or like you know like a deathcore album like venom prison it's very different when it comes to extreme albums but uh, Caligula by Lingua Ignota, yeah. one of the most harrowing experiences 
you can have listening to music and yeah. a very important record considering the narrative of you know uh, survivors of sexual abuse absolutely yeah one I still haven't listened to but I absolutely will make time for it and yeah. perhaps when the idea of end of year list and stuff isn't in my head I would mm. sit down with that record and you, just give it it's one that you thought. really need to sit down with yeah. it's not something you just stick on in the background yeah. like I tried to listen to it while doing the cleaning a few weeks ago and it was just it was very unpleasant <laughs> um, so I did want to mention that because I feel like yeah. that is an important record if not in my top 20 mm-hmm. um, so those are my honourable mentions yeah uh, so we move into the top 20 yeah I should mention as well you uh, you the dear listeners were really really wonderful in uh, sending us some of your uh, suggestions for album of the year Absolutely. some of your recommendations some stuff that I haven't listened to yet so mm-hmm. stuff that I'm going to go away with after we do this list and kind of soak in over Christmas so we're going to hear from you guys throughout the show as well because we've been to social media and you've really helped us out and that's actually meant a lot to us yeah. as well you know yeah. it, it goes to show that you, that you guys still care mm-hmm. which is wonderful for us you know it's something we were a little bit worried about um, and yeah thank you so we'll be hearing from you in a little bit but first of all Bradley Thorne yes your number 20 my number 20 um, has been mentioned already uh, Cult Dreams oh wonderful um, just sort of climbed into the back end of this list um as you said, they they have made some changes to their sound. I think they really, really benefit. Um, I love me some post-punk. I think people that have been listening to this show will have got that general idea. And I think that is a big component of their sound on this album, if not the entire thing. Um, it's kind of a, it's quite a melancholic album. It's very reflective, but it but it is also quite hopeful. Mm. Um, so it, so it has a nice vibe. It's it's um. It feels very timely. It's the first of a lot of records on this list that that are very timely and mm. really speak to this moment in time. Um, instrumentally, I really enjoy the kind of lush, shoegazy yeah. soundscapes that kind of blossom out in in lots of the songs. But really, I think Lucinda's vocals and lyrics are what really lands it at this spot in my top twenty. Um, just the little refrains, like uh, in the opening track, uh, Born an Underdog, Still Living One, I think it's called. It's one of my favourite songs on the album. Absolutely, yeah. I actually think the first and last songs are my favourite. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, oh, I think We Never Rest as we well. We Never Rest it's, it's, is huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, little refrains like, uh, we hate because we live too much, we're cold because we lost a lot, we hate because we live too much. It's like little things like that, they just get yeah. stuck in your head and it's so evocative and, mm. and loaded and, and you can take that away and put your own meaning into it yeah. which is something I love in, in all bands that and lyrics that I love um, and the album's just full of those kind of really resonant lyrics I was a big big fan of their debut I think it is one of the best debuts by a sort of young British yeah um, this, this decade for absolutely. sure absolutely it made my albums of the year list in 2017 when mm-hmm. that came out yeah I think yeah it did make I think it was like number 10 yeah, in my list I don't think I was doing lists back then but if no. it was I'm sure it would have been <laughs> in there um, but I think this uh, is is a huge step up from that mm. even I think they're a really 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 great band 
So yeah, my number 20. You know what, I, I was really gutted to miss this out, and they've obviously been on the podcast, uh, you know, a couple of times now. We've, we've had, you know, Lucinda, they've been on, um, uh, they've been on a, a couple of times now. Um, and yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think they've made some outstanding progressions on this album. Um, particularly, you know, you say about the, the sort of lyrical content. Uh, you know, we haven't mentioned a song like "Not My Generation," mm-hmm. uh, which is a really fucking angry song. Um, and Lucinda's vocals, they kind of, um, you know, the, their vocal stylings, they kind of match that uh, that sort of lyrical tone. Absolutely. Um, and it's more outward looking. You know, yeah. it kind of it brings in some social commentary that perhaps they weren't necessarily doing so much on Seafoam. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of it, it is. A very introspective album, less so than before, though. It's kind of looking yeah. outward a little bit more, uh, yeah. too, which is not easy to do. No. Um, you know, there's a few albums in this list that do that that we're going to be discussing mm-hmm. over the course of these uh, uh, these next few hours. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you got it in there. Uh, so it's Cult Dreams and Things That Hurt. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, check it out if you haven't yet, because it's superb. <laughs> um, yeah, so my number 20... Um, it's really hard picking the number 20, as we were saying earlier, yeah. and it's constantly changing. I think before I chose this album, it was actually the Opeth album in oh, Calder wow. Venenum. Have you listened to that? I haven't, yet? no. Um, as someone who's not that massive a prog fan, like mm-hmm. just straight up prog, it's actually really, really good. Right. And I think I nearly put it at number 20 because I'm getting something new out of every listen, mm-hmm. and it's it's prog music, but it's not wanky. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it makes me very excited. Uh, yeah, on the stick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> prog music but not wanky bitch and brew podcast um, uh, and I'm now really excited to see him headline up tangent oh, next God, year yeah. uh, but I just had to look at some of the outstanding achievements from this year uh, in music and looking back at some of the albums which we were kind of very very gleaming about around the middle of the year around April May time this record just kind of stood out and I, I my list wouldn't feel complete without um, End of Suffering by Frank Carter and mm. the Rattlesnakes um, I definitely prefer it to Modern Ruin uh, I think um, Blossom is still brilliant mm-hmm. uh, and a wonderful snapshot in time of where Frank was at this point but End of Suffering is uh, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes most accomplished album yet artistically and also with uh, Frank's vocals his vocal performance on this record shows how much of a brilliant singer he's become over time Um, and you know talking about that transformation of Frank into this kind of Gucci clad (laughs) swaggering rock star um, I mean he tried it with pure love didn't he and it it didn't go well did it It let's let's face it it was a sort of necessary part of his evolution mm-hmm. as a front man but yeah it didn't quite like yeah uh, but you know you look at songs like Tyrant Lizard King and mm-hmm. Latex Dreams Kitty Kitty Sucker yeah that's what a tr- yeah uh, it's kind of got that that Josh Homme-esque mm-hmm. curled lip you know swagger like yeah. I was saying earlier um, and it is a really kind of slick and sexy and kind of decadent album on the surface mm-hmm. but over time, I think I've come to admire the the dark heart of this album, mm-hmm. and the sort of the really uh, the really dark place that it comes for, uh, from. I think that's possibly uh, more prevalent in the middle section of the album, which is the bit that kind of turned me off from it originally, just because I thought the sequencing of the album was a bit weird, where the middle of the the middle of the record just seemed to have 
all the kind of slow songs on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from like the the last track, the title track, but you have that run of uh, tracks which is Love Games, Anxiety, Angel Wings, and Supervillain. Mm-hmm. They're thematically very dark. Yeah. You know, uh, Frank was on the cover of Kerrang! recently and there's a brilliant interview with him. I don't know if you've had the chance to read I it. I haven't yet. read it, no. But it details the kind of events in his life that led up to basically everything with the rattlesnakes. It just tells his, uh, you know, the story of his last few years mm. uh, in, in kind of very black and white terms. It's written yeah. by Paul Brannigan, who's oh, one cool. of the best music journalists ever um, and um, he talks a lot con- content warning here he talks a lot about how he very much nearly got to uh, the brink in terms of um, his depression and he's talking about uh, you know and this the, these aren't very nice um, uh, very nice sort of words to hear from him but he, he very much nearly got to the rope he said mm-hmm. um, and he you know these these themes that he discusses on the album they're they're very very dark, um, but Frank deals with it in a very sort of confrontational manner. Yeah, he's always been so confrontational. <laughs> I think that's what makes him one of the most iconic front men of his time. Absolutely. Um, this is the most patient I think you've had to be with a Frank Carter record. Um, and I say Frank Carter. This is as much about the Rattlesnakes now as well, yeah. especially Dean, Dean Richardson, the guitarist. But the whole band are superb on this record. And I, I do think you know if if you kind of if you listen to this album and went, oh well, you know it's not it's not Great Britain, is it? <laughs> Great Britain is ten years old now, and yes, with everything that's going on right now, it feels like a more relevant album than ever. But let's face it, the Frank that was on Great Britain, that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get the uh, the Frank that we heard on Great Britain and Orchestra yeah. of Wolves ever again. But on the plus side, I feel like this version of Frank that we have now has so much more longevity in it. Yeah. The Frank of old was combustible and just completely on the brink of just falling apart. Yeah. And the Frank we have now is here to stay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, End of Suffering had to go on the list for me. Absolutely. I think it's a superb record. Yeah, I wouldn't add a huge amount to that. I think what's really, really cool about what Frank Carter's done this year and, and in the years leading up to this is for a man who was in the earlier days of his career, like, as you said, Great Britain and the Gallows mm-hmm. days, he was, at least as the media portrayed, he was a character. Yeah. He was the angry figurehead of this mm-hmm. band. For a man who was characterised in that way to be so open and so himself and autobiographical in a lot of ways with his new project. Yeah. And just each Rattlesnake's album, as you said, is a snapshot of where he is in his life at that time. I Mm -hmm. think it's very, very brave, you know, to take off the mask in that way, so to speak. Not to give away too much from that feature, because I'll lend you the copy, but um, uh, he said his next album is going to be about slaying those demons he's confronted on this album. Uh So I'm very excited to see where he goes with that. Demon Slayer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, we've got Ali Pali coming next year, haven't we? Yeah. It's going to be good fun. I am very excited to see what he does with that. Frankie C and the Rattly Three. I hope he demolishes the place. Oh, yeah. What a wanky venue. (laughs) Um, Your number 19. My number 19 um, is Cult of Luna, with a dawn to fear. This comes from... Purely, I think, stems from seeing them at Art Tangent in the summer and just, you know, my jaw just being on the floor 
throughout the entirety of the set. Yeah. Um, so when this album came out, sh- fairly shortly after that, wasn't it? I think it came out. I think it was like the month, month following, so. yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely jumped right on it to listen to it. <laughs> um, I wasn't sure it would end up in my top 20, actually, but it, I really have, it really has stuck with me. This has been a real year of discovery for me. I think my top 20 reflects that I've really broadened my musical horizons particularly in the world that a band like Cold Lunar inhabit. Like that post-metal. Absolutely, post-metal, mm-hmm. post-rock, more instrumental terrain. I was passingly familiar with Mariner, which is the album that they, they did with Julie Christmas. Yeah, that was um, that was kind of my first encounter with yeah. Cold Lunar, but it's not an album that I went back to a lot. No. I feel very similar to you in the way that Arc Tangent was a bit of an awakening and like Absolutely. we missed the boat on this band big time. Yeah, but I almost feel like having seeing them live first was a really, really good entry point into a band like Cult of Luna, who mm. are by their very nature quite cold and impenetrable. Yeah. And that's how they like it. And um despite that, I think it, there's something still quite accessible about this album. There are properly headbanging metallic riffs in it they just happen to be stretched out across a much sort of broader canvas (laughs) and we love the riffs we love the riffs yeah um there's lots of welcome changes of pace as well it isn't doesn't just stay at one pace uh the silent man is is more sort of slow and emotive as you may expect to be cult of luna's kind of stop and trade whereas night walkers is much more energetic and, and rhythmic and slightly dancey or toe-tapping. A dance is maybe not the right word for Cult of Luna. don't want to mislead people. Um, and I like... I think I just really appreciate the patience, the restraint mm. that they write songs with. The I don't want to say classiness, but I just said, I just said it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there is a sort of a, a less is more yeah. approach that I think uh, I really, really like about this record. And yeah, as I said, it's been a real year of discovery for me with this kind of genre, and I think this is one album that I've really latched onto. Cool. And it's I, my number nineteen. You know what? I, I'm I'm actually kicking myself for not really giving this album much time to listen to because it is definitely one of those albums you need to sit down with it and, and let yeah. it kind of you know uh, penetrate your soul, I suppose. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I this is one of the albums that I'm going to be going to over Christmas because mm-hmm. that Arc Tangent set was absolutely sensational. Yeah. And unfortunately, that album just came around at a time where there was so much there music was. coming out, yeah. and I just I I have not had enough time in the day to kind of yeah. listen to it. Same thing that happened with the with the Tool album. I've not listened to that Tool album. Maybe like I've maybe listened to that Tool album beginning to end about three four times. Yeah. Uh you know not not nearly enough times and I haven't listened to this album in its entirety at all yet. Yeah. Uh but what I have heard like I said the Silent Man is yeah. absolutely sensational. So I'm looking forward to going in on this one uh you know the, in a couple of weeks time. Yeah. yeah, over the over the next couple of weeks. Um so my number 19 uh, is an album that we reviewed, one of the first albums we reviewed. Um, and I remember at the time we gave it very, very high praise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Volume 4, Slaves of Fear by Health. Oh, nice. Um, have you gone back to this record much at all? I haven't much, no. Right, okay. Um, the, the, I think one of the common themes you're going to get this year, certainly in my list, is um, storytelling. I think it's been an amazing year for albums that... 
really tell stories, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's kind of lyrically or sonically. Um, and I love, obviously, when we're reviewing the album, we're talking about how health have a sort of history in like uh, video game soundtracks yeah. and, and stuff like that. Uh, film soundtracks as well. I don't know if they've done much on that front. I'd imagine they, they've done things like that. Yeah. I'm sure they have. Um, but they have. I love how much of a cinematic approach they have to their music. Yeah. It definitely puts you in mind of you know people like John Carpenter or mm -hmm. actually with Health, it's probably more of a case of like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross yeah. and the work they've done on David Fincher's films. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with the scores and. There is going to be another album in my list a little bit later on down the line that indulges much more in sort of carpenterisms. Mm -hmm. So I'd much rather associate this with Reznor and Ross. Yeah. Um, they, you know, health create sounds on this record that put me on edge, even in the like the comfort of my own home mm -hmm. or in uh, you know at work. I I I can't listen to this album when I'm like out walking at night. Because uh, it is that kind of intense and yeah. suspenseful. Um, and I don't know what it is about bands. We were talking about Full of Hell earlier doing this as well. And that seems like a weird comparison to make, you know, <laughs> Health and Full of Hell. But what is it about bands that want to make beats sound like machine guns? Know, yeah, it's <laughs> a real thing at the moment. It's horrible. And now <laughs> Nathrak did it on their last yeah. record as well. Um, and I, it's, it's horrific, you know. Yeah. Um, it's weird when you watch like action films and stuff. You you realise the sound of machine guns. You just you just kind of so used to it. Mm. But in isolation or like in a different context, the sound of a machine gun is is harrowing. A horrible sound. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and all the sort of you know uh, imagery that is associated with it. Yeah, a little bit deathy. Um, <laughs> not very Christmassy. Yeah, not at all. Uh, or oh, Die Hard. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and again, you know, we're talking about storytelling being a common theme this year. This, this Another common theme this year um, is that this is an album built on contrasts. Yeah. Um, essentially, if you've not heard this album yet, it is ethereal pop music uh, with a little bit of R&B, mm -hmm. particularly in the vocals, um, but with this big old dollop of, like post-apocalyptic industrial rock on top mm -hmm. um, I love the word dollop so I had to get yeah. that in there somewhere that's actually in my notes so I made sure that I would say it just because I think it's a great and underutilised word yeah. um, we were saying about the, the, the vocals uh, Jake uh, Dusick I believe is how mm. you pronounce uh, his surname I, I looked online to try and find him saying his own surname and <laughs> like for interviews and stuff and still couldn't find it so uh, we'll go with that we'll go with Dusick um, I remember you said at the time when we were reviewing it he sounds almost human yeah um, and now I can make this comparison because I finally saw the film this year on the big screen mm. where it belongs I finally saw Blade Runner for the first time this yes. year um, and it now kind of reminds me of like Rachel, the the replicant in Blade Runner, because it is a you know Jake has a very androgynous yeah. voice. At first, I thought it was a wo woman singing, mm -hmm. um, but you know he, he has an amazing falsetto, and yeah, it kind of stays on one level emotionally throughout. There are some backing vocals that add something a little bit sort of harsher, mm -hmm. but he just kind of stays on that one very sort of smooth and soulful, never kind of showy, mm -hmm. uh, but not monotone either. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of stays on that gently melodic level throughout. Uh, this is a dystopian nightmare of an album, mm -hmm. um, but 
despite the fact that it kind of torments and disorientates you, it is incredibly kind of intoxicating as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's uh, volume four, Slaves of Fear by Health. That's my number nineteen. Um, any other any other thoughts on that at all? Do you, do you you haven't really gone back to the? I haven't really gone back to it, and I know that I really really liked it at the time. So that's definitely one I think I need to revisit. And also, I I, re- I know I wanted to delve back into their back catalogue. Yeah, that's one thing more. I haven't done. I haven't really gone back to listen no, to any of their other stuff. Yeah, like you said, the year really ramped up in terms of albums. I think there's a lot of bands I've got sort of earmarked to do a deep dive into their back catalogue. Mm. You know, uh, even with Cult of Luna, I haven't really explored the earlier albums. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm looking forward to going back and checking out some more of Health stuff. Mm. I say that, I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see them live as well, actually. I, I really would. Uh, they haven't yeah. really done... The, uh, no, I'd say they haven't done the UK. They did do All Points East. They did, yeah. Yeah, which I wasn't at, so... Um, okay, so uh, should we hear from some of our listeners? Yeah. Uh, let's hear what they have to say about their albums of the year. Um, so let's start with our good friends over at Rose Coloured Records, mm-hmm. and they have simply said, uh, "Pup uh, with morbid stuff." Um, good album. No comment from me <laughs> just yet. <laughs> um, Amabel Thornton has said, "For me, it has been Day Trip to Narnia by Cats in Space." Wow. Do, you, do you know about Cats in Space? No. I actually, I think I know the guitarist from Cats in wow. Space because he's 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 Horsham based. Wow. Um, they 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 have uh, had a lot of um, sort of big support slots, uh, and they are coming becoming quite big in the kind of classic rock mm-hmm. uh, scene, uh, which is not something I delve into too often. But Amabel has said there's catchy songs with fab harmonies and a bit of a concept album thing going on with the story of Johnny Rocket part of the album. Then you add in the album artwork by Andy Kitson and you have a thing of beauty. Wow. I might have to go check that out now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're called Cats in Space. Cats in Space and the album's called Day Trip to Narnia. Mm -hmm. Um, Peter Hen has said Set Us Free by Reconciler, um, Just Beats, Celebrity Mansions by Dinosaur Pileup and Morbid Stuff by Pup. I've not heard of Reconciler, no, so neither. no, that's one to add to the list yeah. for sure. Um, and one more uh, in this section, Adam Vallely. Wow. Um, hello, Adam. Uh, he he hosts a brilliant podcast, by the way, called Audience Please. Yeah, uh, go and check that out. Um, he is torn between Final Transmission by Cavin mm. um, and Caprice Enchanté by the Saint Pierre Snake Invasion. Yeah. Uh, again, no comment just yet. <laughs> Although I haven't heard. Uh, Final Transmission by Cave-In. No, I'm, me neither. I've not really uh, done much Cave-In stuff in the past. That's a weird way to say it. <laughs> I've not really listened to Cave-In before. No, me neither. It seems like one of those cult bands that I've really kind of missed out on a little bit. Yeah, there's just too much music. <laughs> too much. Can people just stop, can people just stop making music, please? Yeah, give it a rest for a bit. Oh, Jesus. Uh, right, it's time for you to tell me your number 18. My number 18 is probably the most recent addition to my list. Uh, my number 18 is Better Oblivion Community Centre mm. with their self-titled debut. Um, you were talking about storytelling. This album is big on the kind of folky storytelling. 
Um, it's obviously, I should say, it's a collaboration between Phoebe Bridges and Connor Oberst. I think. Oh, I think it's Oberst or Oberst. I'm yeah. not sure. They've collaborated before on Phoebe Bridges' album. They have. Yeah. Um, it was one of the highlights of that record for me, which yeah. is a brilliant record. I'm yeah. A big Phoebe I think Bridges they have fan. a good relationship, and I think they are mutual fans of each other's mm. past work. Um, the storytelling really is the big thing on this record. I think it's. Um, at least it appears on the surface to be slightly less autobiographical, certainly, than Phoebe Bridges' own solo material. Mm-hmm. Um, it appears to be kind of telling the story of these characters. Um, I'm sure some of it is inspired by by things that have actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they certainly appear to be to be talking about, telling stories about characters, which is really, really cool. Um, I think it's a bit of a collaboration made in heaven, to be honest. They seem to bring something out of each other yeah that there's a slightly different energy to this than there is on either of them and I'm not super au fait with Coro Burst's previous work no I'm definitely much more clued up I say this with the Boy Genius EP yeah. sort of stood on my Which record player at the great. moment with Phoebe Bridges on that is great that came out right at the end of last year didn't it mm-hmm. um, but yeah I'm much more familiar with Phoebe Bridges yeah. and she is possibly the best of that crop of singer-songwriters, if that makes sense. I think when it comes to kind of emotive, melancholic, because she is so melancholic, um, she's not someone that I can listen to for long stretches of time, I think. No. Um, But in my opinion, she's unrivaled when it comes to that kind of Mm. super emotive storytelling music. Um, I think with Dylan Thomas is a song that sees them that really combine yeah which as I'm saying it's a sort of it's just a different energy I think than they would normally have and it's quite upbeat even though the the lyrical content is kind of rooted in anxiety and the mm. just challenges of it existing <laughs> in 2019 it's actually my favourite moment on the record I think Dylan Thomas yeah and I know that's of it that's the single and you know um, I I, I I do prefer the more upbeat stuff on mm-hmm. on this on this record. Yeah. Certainly because it's it's a lot different from what you get on Phoebe Bridges' Absolutely. solo material. Yeah. Uh, I can't say as much for Connor Oberst. Mm. Um, I think he's had, from what I gather, an incredibly varied. Yes. Career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean it hasn't been on my list as long as some of the other records here, but it, it's just really latched onto me and really climbed its way into this list. I just mm-hmm. think it is just a beautiful record, yeah. to be honest. Uh, yeah, so it's my number 18. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I I need to listen to that album a little bit more, I think. I, I, I have really enjoyed every listen to it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, another album to kind of... The, 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 it's the same with the Phoebe Bridges album, to be fair. It just kind of seeps into your soul over time. Yeah. Um, so yeah I, I think uh, my view on it will be uh, even more positive uh, in in the coming months mm. um, so that's Better Oblivion Community Centre yes. is the, the official name of that project and it's yeah. self-titled yeah. Um, yeah definitely go and check that out uh, my number 18 um, again another album that we we've reviewed before mm-hmm. um, and an album that we probably would have had no chance of hearing a few years ago um, it's The Wild Hearts with Renaissance Men your introduction to The Wild yeah. Hearts 
Um, and quite an effective introduction. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Not to speak on your behalf, yeah. but we were both very, very glowing of this record. Um, the Wild Hearts play this album like they're never going to make another album. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I, I think they will. I think they will. I think this has really kind of lit a fire under them now. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's rena- Renaissance men for, for a reason, you know? Mm. Um, but they are now all in their late 40s and early 50s like Ginger's 54 years old now and they have more vigour on this record and more energy than a band half their age Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that they're doing anything to like try and sound like a young band they're they're actually you know sounding their age but they just have the energy of of, uh, a band that are much younger you know it has a real weathered quality, mm-hmm. this album, and I think only the best uh, bands uh, in rock music can can achieve that. It's actually something that Tool have done on this album. It just sounds like a sort of more weathered, aged version of Tool. Absolutely. Uh, Faith No More did it a few years ago as well with Sol mm-hmm. Invictus. Um, but that that weathered thing especially comes in on Ginger's voice, yeah. which just sounds like he's been gargling gravel, um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Um, I mean, we kind of said all of this back in May, mm-hmm. but there's not a great deal of um, of nuance to this record or, or kind of layers revealed over time. No. It's very instantaneous, and, and what you hear is what you get. Mm-hmm. Luckily, what you hear is just ceaselessly entertaining. <laughs> um, and, you know, at the same time, they're not phoning it in. No. You know, they they are giving us something which feels kind of, which does feel fresh mm-hmm. and exciting, and I wouldn't necessarily say unpredictable because it does just sound like the Wild Hearts. Yeah. The Wild Hearts sound like the Wild Hearts, and they happen to make some of the best melodic rock yeah. British rock songs of all time. Mm. Um, but I also don't think you would have heard the nihilistic Wild Hearts of old mm-hmm. performing a song like Diagnosis. Which is the the centerpiece of the record, Absolutely, I suppose, yeah. and kind of detailing Ginger's uh, struggles within the the mental health system of the UK. Yeah. Um. And and you know surviving that and yeah. you know it's it's incredibly uplifting and it's vital. Yeah. It's a vital song and I knew I I somehow knew they had it in them when you were seeing all of the horrible things that Ginger was going through in the years leading up to this record as much as you were you know hoping that he that he makes it out and that he gets to the other side at the same time you're you're thinking and this is not like in a in a kind of in a sinister way at all but you kind of look at that moment in time for Ginger and you go, this is going to lead to some something fantastic yeah. from him. And from the whole band, obviously. Yeah. I really want to shout out uh, Rich Battersby, their drummer on this album, who just goes for it throughout. Um, and, yeah, I I don't know what else I can say. It's, fu- it's the fucking Wild Hearts. <laughs> it is brilliant, I think, as someone who doesn't have... People that love this band love this really band. love this band don't and, they uh, as a relative newcomer I am really really pleasantly surprised by it and I have gone back to this record mm-hmm. because I love the sort of as you said it has got some very very important messages and a lot of really vital things to say but it is a kind of album where you just want to go and chuck your lager around <laughs> in a pub at the same time and I love that about it 
And um, I also just think Ginger is just a phenomenal person to have in rock music. He he puts front men half his age to shame, I think. With really does. What he, wearing his heart on his sleeve and, and just being open, which is probably a difficult thing when you're when you're in the public eye in any yeah. kind of capacity. I just, yeah, I think they're great. Especially when he's seen it all. Yeah. He's seen <laughs> it all and the director's cut, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I I couldn't uh, like this. This album is it's the second best Wild Hearts album ever. Yeah, and people can't see us now, but we're both just kind of grinning. I think <laughs> at the thought of this album. It, yeah, yeah. I should have mentioned it really in my honourable mentions because it is not on my list. But have you gone back to check out um, any of the earlier albums? I haven't really. I, I did give one listen to um, Earth Versus. Yeah, which is great. It's the um, best Wild Hearts yeah. album behind. But, but Renaissance Men is. I, I'll be honest, it's not that far behind yeah. it. Um, I think when the sun comes out again and festival season rolls around, they'll be one of the first bands I go to. For sure. As well, yeah. Put them on the main stage at Download. Yeah. They belong there with songs <laughs> like this. Yeah. Um, and they've earned it, Absolutely. for sure. Uh, one of one of the best bands our country has ever produced. Better than the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, I said <laughs> it. I said it. I fucking <laughs> said it. Uh, the Wild Hearts and Renaissance Men are either. Uh, what we on we're on number 17 yeah lovely Uh, what's your number 17 Bradley Uh, it's Car Bomb with Mordial (laughs) mine 17 (laughs) is Car Bomb with Mordial as well absolutely cool Uh, well I think this album appeals to me because it is fucking batshit crazy (laughs) (laughs) and um it was another band that we saw perform at Arc Tangent. I hadn't listened to them on record before seeing that show. Oh, really? Um, and I just felt like I was just being punched in the face repeatedly. Basically yeah. gagging for more of it all the way through the set. Just keep punching me in the face. You, you were gagging for it on the violence front. <laughs> yeah. Um, though, there's guitar work on this album that I am just too stupid to comprehend how you know they're making these noises um, but I'm not too stupid to enjoy it and that's the important thing <laughs> um, um, it sounds to me it just sounds like the future mm. of this kind of heavy hardcore um, metallic hardcore and not just because the guitars sound like laser guns <laughs> yeah um, it just has the same kind of disregard for sort of a rule book that's been established mm. by countless bands it's got the same kind of disregard for that that Code Orange had a couple of years ago that Vane had last year um, and they're just another band in yeah. this kind of lineup of bands that are just tearing up well, you rule book. S- it's interesting that you say Code Orange because they, they've said uh, obviously a lot of the, the songwriting behind this record is inspired by the time that they actually toured with Code Orange but more importantly Gajira yeah um, and you definitely hear that that's for Absolutely, sure Absolutely, yeah it's very very metallic yeah this album mm. um, they go sort of everything from yeah that metallic influence is massive there is a bit of hardcore mm-hmm. there's a bit of everything there's a bit of kind of shoegaze yeah yeah um, everything from I think Meshuggah is clearly quite a big influence mm-hmm. on them Metallica as well you, you could just go on and on yeah the kind of things that they're they're taking from 
I, now, I said, obviously, when we were preparing this, that we weren't going to do, like, play-by-play reviews mm-hmm. of the albums that we haven't had a chance to review yet on this podcast, this being one of them. Um, but I must comment on the opening of this album, mm-hmm. uh, because it is it's this kind of shoegazy guitar melody, and it's very sort of light and delicate and, and beautiful, but... It's it's kind of been warped and pitch shifted a little bit, mm-hmm. and it just kind of sets that tone brilliantly because it's like whoa something's not <laughs> right here something's gonna go awry and it leaves you kind of feeling a little bit unsettled mm-hmm. and then you just get pummeled. Yeah. Um, actually, I was talking with Clang Name Drop Justine from Employed <laughs> to Serve uh, about this yesterday. She called it Robot Wars Metal. Yeah, <laughs> I think I remember her saying that when she was on the panel at our Tangent, actually. Yes. Maybe. Yeah, it's yeah. very apt. You know, the, the, the sort of thing that I suppose this one of these albums is uncategorizable, but the sort of tech technical death metal thing that they do yeah is is not usually my bag i think you know gojira are the gold standard of it mm-hmm. um and over time they've kind of become a little less technical and a little more sort of uh, metallic mm-hmm. um but this album uh, mordial adds a whole new dimension to that genre that i've not really seen before and that's beauty yeah um i mean praise has already been kind of heaped upon uh, Michael Daffner, their vocalist, uh, because he kind of ops- offsets these these really guttural growls with dreamy, almost like Chino esque yeah. harmonics, and I and I say that in front of someone who I know is very, 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 <laughs> very passionate about Deftones. Um, but uh, he also has these like little new metal quirks. Absolutely, like yeah. there are moments where he's just very staccato in his delivery, and and he's almost whispering at times as well. Mm-hmm. And the dynamics of his vocal performance are just incredible. Yeah. Um, also, all the commendation is needed for Greg Kubaki on this record, yeah. their guitarist. He has. We obviously talk about all the sort of, you know, pew, 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 <laughs> that sounds, you know, and all the kind of horrible grinding guitar tones that sounds like, you know, Sir Killalot buggering Matilda on the in the <laughs> Robot Wars <laughs> arena or something. I'm only saying that because I was watching Robot Wars this morning. Yeah, I was for some, it the other day as well. Yeah. It's phenomenal television. It is great. Uh, bring back Craig Charles, though. He's kind of missing that. Yeah. Yeah. Who does it now? Dara O'Brien. Yeah, and Angela Scanlon. Doesn't no. quite cut the mustard for me. No, no offence <laughs> meant to them. It's all about Craig Charles. Yeah. Let the wars begin. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we've talked about all of those, those uh, horrible robotic, but never kind of like... Uh, over mechanical noises that he creates with his guitar which are just sort of very awe-inspiring but he has a very graceful style of playing at times you know especially when he goes into more sort of finger tapping Mm -hmm. there's just something very elegant um, about that guitar sound and uh, I think the best example of the of the kind of contrast that they offer on this record is around the middle of the record there's a song called XOXOY Mm -hmm. um, which veers more towards like modern prog. Yeah, there is a very progressive. When I I haven't actually listened to any Carbon albums that came before this either. Still, this is this is I've listened to Meta, the mm. one before this, and it it was all right. Yeah, but you did grow very tired of it quite quickly. Mm. Um, this. Uh, you know, I think you do need to recognise all the brilliant moments of kind of crushing heaviness on this record. Yeah. Um, uh, but another another distinction with this record is it, never overbearing, um, and it's never like, 
overly show. It's not wanky. Mm-hmm. That's that's <laughs> yeah. going back to that. It's not like look at all the crazy stuff we can do. Look at all these no. crazy time signatures it's and in service. Yeah. Of, of the kind of of the songs and of the kind of sonic assault that they mm. want to launch at any time. You say it sounds like the future as well. I don't think this album is going to age any time soon. No. No, because it doesn't sound like anything that has ever been kind of in vogue mm. in heavy music ever. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think bands are going to go on to do this thing because I don't think that they would be capable of I think Carbomb do have a very, very unique approach mm-hmm. to their songs. I don't think you're going to get bands aping this and obviously no one before has really it just sits on its own little island. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to tire of listening to this record no. anytime soon. Um, and I think I'm all the more impressed by the fact that, did you know their drummer plays without a click track? Seriously? Yeah, all those time signature changes that you hear. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be baffled if they do it on record. They definitely do it live. Mm. And when we saw them at Art Tangent, it was no perfect, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. We, we were definitely giving it all the um, the air motorbike candles. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, so that's Carbon with Mordial. Mm-hmm. And that came out in the UK on Holy Raw Records. Yeah. Here's a message from our sponsors. <laughs> Not officially. We Can't just like Holy Raw a lot. How, long, how far are we in? We've only just mentioned them. We are like... An hour in, and wow. yeah, we just mentioned earlier. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but there you go. We've yeah. met our quota. Uh, Carbon with Mordial, both are number seventeen. Yes. Oh, that's someone at the door, Brad. <laughs> Do you want me to get it? I think it's going to be the first of our guests on this episode. Should we go and find out who it is? Yeah. Hi, Danny and Brad. I'm Catherine from Fresh. My band highlight of 2019 would probably be releasing our second record, Withdraw, and just being excited about it, putting it out in the world, having a baby out there, uh, and just kind of reveling in it. My favourite album of 2019, and it's hard to say, but I think it is uh, the Better Oblivion Community Centre self-titled record with Phoebe Bridges and Connor Obst. Um, just because I got into it when I was living in another country, I was isolated, uh, I fucking love lyrical, folky, kind of harmony-driven music, and it really just hit me in all the right places, it makes me think really fondly of another place where I used to live, and yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it's a perfect record. How nice was it of, uh, of Catherine to, to pop by yeah, really and, nice. and tell us about her album of the year? Yeah, very nice. Thank you very much, Catherine, and, uh... Maybe not the last we'll be hearing from Fresh mm. in these lists. Hmm, foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, it's number 16 time. Brad, do 16. enlighten me. So, uh, on a similar note to Carbon, my number 16 is the Japanese house. <laughs> We're good at falling. Um, it's not on a similar note to Carbon. I was lampooning you, dear listeners. Hacking, bamboozling you. <laughs> yeah. Heck. <laughs> um... The Japanese house are good at following it. It has to be included in my album of the year list just because of how much I've reached for it this year. It has been my go-to album for chilling out, mm-hmm. for driving in the sun, for you know, for just a cert- It captures a certain vibe, which I want to feel. I'm a vibey man, and I need an album like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
there's something so calming about the the sort of androgynous quality that uh, Amber Bain has, the sort of dis- the distorted vocals, the very muted drum sounds, the it's quite glitchy synths, but not in a not in a kind of Nine Inch Nails way, in a much not, not gentler... Not in like a, a sort of tormenting way. No. You know, there, there's something uh, quite sort of, yeah, you say glitchy, but it's, it's almost kind of like, a, I don't know, fragmented a yeah. little bit. Absolutely, and and kind of folky elements as well. I think going back to Better Oblivion Community, I think there is a similar quality to this album, as well. Um, I think the kind of artistry that Amber Bain shows on this should should be applauded. Really, I think she's crafted a really deeply personal album, mm. um, incredibly articulate about things that have kind of happened in her life. It's super relatable, um, and and sonically, it's really spacious dose of bedroom pop that is you know spacious and, and lush but unpretentious mm. um, and also has some of the year's best pop songs on I think um, and I don't want to just reiterate everything we said when we reviewed the record um, but songs like Maybe You're The Reason and Follow My Girl are just massive pop songs but they're not bombastic yeah. you know they're quite um, understated. Absolutely, yeah. understated is a is a big word with this record. Yeah, it's funny that you say about that crossover with uh, with emo because you know you, you kind of I mean it's got more of a crossover with, with emo than you know all that shit like emo rap. Absolutely, <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. Um, I, I'd I'd kind of associate um, uh, the Japanese house with artists like you know Soccer Mummy and Kississippi yeah. and you know um, Ju- even like Julian Baker and. Mm-hmm. You know the the boy genius lot, you know Absolutely, Phoebe yeah. Bridges, Lucy Dacus, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I I should have really included this in my honorable mention because I have gone back to this record quite a lot. It's you yeah. know it's it's a really brilliant alternative pop record. Yeah. Um, and alternative pop has been a big thing for me this year. Something really clicked with churches for me this year. Yeah. Um, you know, which hasn't really clicked before. It's not mm. that I've been particularly not a fan of theirs. It's just I've not been. A fan. Yeah, yeah. So, essentially, not. <laughs> but anyway, um, and I must admit, like, you, you're getting a lot of the these bedroom pop artists yeah. are really coming through the fucking woodwork right now, but there's there's something special about the Japanese yeah, think, house, for sure. Um, obviously, the Japanese house signed to uh, the, the 1975 label, wasn't it? What's it called? Dirty uh, Hit or something? Uh, Dirty Hit, yeah. Um, it's not their... Well, it's the same label as the 1975. Oh, it's not their label. No, I thought it was. Yeah, but I, I think. I think it's just because the 1975 were the first real big thing to kind of break uh, out of that label okay. that I thought it was theirs. Yeah. But no, uh, same same label okay. though. Same as like Pale Waves um, and... Um, yeah, and I think she she stands apart from from the pe- the other people. On easily, yeah, easily. Um, so I think if it, if it maybe it doesn't sound like your kind of thing because of that, I'd say give it a chance. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I gave it a chance and... Uh, and I, I do love this record. I feel a bit silly for not having it in my honourable mentions, to mm-hmm. be honest. So that's uh, Good at Falling mm-hmm. by The Japanese House. Um, yeah, definitely go and check that out if that sounds like your thing. Or even if it doesn't, yeah, yeah might find something new that you like about mm-hmm. it. So, uh, my number 16, uh, it's funny that we say it took a while to get to a Holy Raw Records release. We're actually going to be staying with Holy Raw Records for my number 16, mm-hmm. uh, which... 
uh, comes from not one but two of their bands uh. in collaboration with one another. My number sixteen is Curse These Metal Hands uh, with their self-titled album. Well, I suppose it's essentially uh, Pine and Conjurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pine. They were in your top 20 of the year last year. Yeah. They were very, very close to mine. Kind of expansive, beguiling, uh, very sort of emotionally hefty mm-hmm. post-metal. Yeah. Uh, it's a real odyssey, that album, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Loss, uh, their debut album from last year. And then Conjurer, we both had them in our um, in our top 20s of last year. I think we said it was the best debut of last year. Absolutely. Uh, sludgy, bleak, oppressively heavy... And just bludgeoning. Yeah, um, is one the of best, the best way. new metal bands on the planet. I think we're one of the best new metal bands on the planet. Not new metal. Uh... I'm sure they fucking love that. To be honest, <laughs> they really would. They're dicks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's mean. It's just Brady that's a dick. Um, <laughs> uh, so when you consider what both of those bands do individually, yeah. I think your brain would automatically go somewhere stylistically that sounds absolutely nothing like what we've got here. Mm-hmm. We, unfortunately, didn't review this record at the time, did we? It kind no. of came out just around the time that we took our hiatus. Yeah. So this came out around... It, it was around uh, Arctangent, wasn't it? Yes. Um, in fact, I think the album actually came out on the Friday of Arctangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we saw their album release show, essentially. <laughs> um, but this is, despite you know what Pine do in terms of the realms of like expansive post-metal and what... Conjurer do in terms of sludgy metal shithousery um, this is an homage to progressive metal um, post rock yeah. at times and as bizarre as it is to say classic rock yeah, um, and, and kind of stonery type stuff um, it is really embracing the guitar hero mm-hmm. in a not at all serious way Yeah, uh, this record um, and I think it would be very easy to cast this album aside as a kind of a fun and harmless little sort of side project yeah I, I, I would do that were it not for the fact that I think this record stands toe to toe with either Loss or Maya ah. um, I, I think this album is absolutely overwhelmingly brilliant in terms of how it's quite short. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's been a lot of confusion this year about whether it's an album or an EP mm-hmm. because it's four tracks. It's pretty much just over half an hour long, I think. Yeah. Um, it's an album. Yeah. Uh, they, they've said it's an album, therefore it is an album. <laughs> Stop calling it an EP. Um, please. And I think I speak on behalf of their PR as well with that one who had a nightmare with that. <laughs> um, shout out Matt Benton. Um in just kind of half an hour, it veers from dark and, you know, I use the word crushing again, um, which Holy Raw seems to be good at, you know, kind of bringing out bands who, who like to crush. Yeah. Band smash, you know. <laughs> um, but it's also uplifting and euphoric, you know. Mm-hmm. How many times was I walking around Art Tangent going, Spirits! <laughs> A lot. Yeah. I can confirm. Almost annoyingly so. (laughs) But when that song kicks in, my God, it is like one of the most joyously euphoric moments I think I've ever heard in music. Which is weird to come from kind of a metal record. Yeah. 
Something that that uh, Pine have especially brought uh, to the to the table here on this record um, is how tender it can be at times, mm-hmm. and and the the dynamics on this record are superb. It's good to see them all taking part in that. Really, you know, we obviously heard a little bit of experimentation with dynamics on that Conjurer record, mm-hmm. especially with Dan's vocals. Yeah. you know, did a little bit of clean vocals on what was the song that he does clean vocals on on Maya. It's um not heartless, um thankless. Yes, yes, uh, one of the highlights on that record, really. Um, so it's good to see them playing around with some really great sort of post-rocky dynamics yeah. here, uh, and it just makes everything so much more effective. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- this this album's this album's. Have you got any thoughts on this record, or do you need to button your lip? No, no, no. Um, it is a really, really great record. I think by two really great bands. I think maybe. Um, for me personally, it doesn't stand toe to toe with either of their own individual records. Yeah. Um, but I do think it is phenomenal, and it is the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. It, it is the result of two incredible bands joining together to do something that doesn't really sound too much like either. No, well, it doesn't really sound anything like either of their. No, bands, it, You know, but it brings in elements. You've heard a lot of uh, comparisons being made to early Baroness yes. with this Mastodon as well, but also. The Thin Lizzy moments yeah. on this record. <laughs> These are comparisons that have been made elsewhere. Yeah. Hello, Riot Act. Um, <laughs> we're not ripping you off, I promise. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think some of the, like I said, the Guitar Hero moments on this record, it's, it's kind of... It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. It's not like, you know, kind of ha-ha, laugh-out-loud funny. It is a You know, there are times where it's just a little bit silly, but we saw them perform this record in its entirety at Arc Tangent, and something which really comes through on both the record and live is this project is defined by, uh, defined by values of friendship mm-hmm. and, and kind of collaboration and not being competitive with not one another, bearing in mind you're you know, in this in this age of you know streaming, it, it always feels so hyper competitive among bands. And these are two bands that have said we just admire the fuck out of each other, yeah. and we want to make something that is just fun. And you know, I think they said at the um, uh, they got people to just shake hands with the person next to them mm-hmm. at, uh, when they played Arc Tangent, and. Um, I think these are just some values which are really overlooked in this day and age. Absolutely. And for a band um, that are getting as much traction, as much deserved hype as Conjurer, mm-hmm. to sort of, to do something like this, you know, rather than bringing out... Mm. Uh, and, and Pine as well. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, it's just, a, yeah, it is a great thing. Yeah. Uh, more of it would be yes. great. I, I wonder if this is the first of hopefully a few records from them mm-hmm. they're playing Arc Tangent next year for the third year in a row yeah. and I would kind of hope that they bring something a little bit different this time now I've seen the album played in full I would like to maybe not see that done just again Yeah, I would like to maybe hear some new material and they're also at Roadburn next year but obviously at Roadburn they're playing Kirsty's Metal Hands in its entirety mm-hmm. so I wonder whether because they're doing Arc Tangent again next year I wasn't there for the first time round so I couldn't tell you if there was anything different about the first set mm-hmm. between the first set and the second set but I know that going into the third set at Arc Tangent next year I'd like to maybe hear something new Yeah, and uh 
I'm very hopeful indeed after this record. <laughs> Curse These Metal Hands by Pine and Conjurer is my number 16. And uh, that came out on Holy Raw Records. <laughs> um, Brad, your number 15. My number 15 uh, is Slow Tie. Nothing great about Britain. Ooh, our first um, foray into hip hop. Absolutely, yeah. This uh, this is the hip hop album on my in my top twenty. There was um, a lot. It it's been a really really strong year, I think, for rap music. Mm. One of the stronger years, uh, particularly UK rap music. It's been one of the stronger years mm-hmm. I can remember, and I think it's a genre that I've really gone back to a bit okay. this year. Um, Albums, uh, Kano, who's kind of uh, a very old school and a very respected part of the kind of grime scene, released a, a really good album, Hoodies All Summer, which was just such a great, captured the zeitgeist of 2019, in particular London life in 2019. Excellently, um, Dave's Psychodrama was another one that tackled loads of really, really weighty issues. Winner of the Mercury Prize? Yeah, deservedly so, I think. And this um, was nominated, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, it was, yeah. Um, really, really intelligent um, rap album there. Uh, Little Sims, uh, Grey Area was a really, really great. I heard a lot about that Little Sims yeah. record. I need to need to go and check that out. Yeah, um, but for me, I think Slow Tie tops it with uh, nothing great about Britain. Um, bottom line is it, this album is just punk as fuck. Um, just over sort of three minutes in, the end of the very first song, uh, he's already called the Queen a cunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is, um, it's just such an honest and unfiltered representation of the kind of disenfranchised working class youth in Britain mm-hmm. and the the thousands and thousands of people that just feel completely let down by the country that they call home. Is just failing them and the systems are failing them and slow tie is just taking that head on um sonically it, it blends a lot of different things it's got the um real aggression of early dizzy rascal yeah doorman i think is is that the song you do with muramasa yes um i think that's great yeah um muramasa do this kind of they provide this kind of uh, almost electronic punk kind yeah. of undercurrent to his raps on that mm-hmm. song um, that is definitely a real standout track um, I mentioned Kano's album I think Kano's a bit of an influence on this as well that kind of um, the wit and intelligence which, with, with which he tackles issues the kind of street level spoken word of the streets is a big thing on here as well but he kind of combines it all into his own thing there's also the sort of raw aggression and, and awareness of the mm. bands like Idols have yeah, they they kind of they've buddied up quite they a really bit have, yeah. over time, you know. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, I think they're they're sort of kindred spirits yeah. in terms of the uh, aggression and frustration that comes out in their music. Wouldn't it be cool if they did like a, a co-headline tour together or something? That would be awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see them turning up on each other's albums in the future. Perhaps that would be very nice I'd be indeed. Up for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just I think Slow Tide is one of the most important figures in British music at the moment, sort of out of mm-hmm. nowhere. This album was a real grower for me when I first listened to it. I think I thought it was just another very zeitgeisty rap album. Um, and it, it's really... I've really realised how kind of important an album it feels like. Um, and more and more so as, as, you know, the kind of political situation gets... 
more and more dire it's it's becoming it's kind of aging yeah even better you know um and i think a, a lot of young people just see slow tires as a bit of a kindred spirit and and um and gravitate towards him yeah i just think this is a great rap album I, I need to go back to it because I, I, I've only listened to it once yeah and there are some real standout tracks for me on there like mm. said Doorman um, I really like the, there's a song called Gorgeous on yeah. the album which kind of goes a little bit sort of more kind of into that lo-fi alternative hip hop kind of thing yeah um, and it's it's far less aggressive than the rest of the album isn't it mm-hmm. um, I, I actually think the best thing that Slow Tie's done this year and this is you know me saying this uh, having only listened to nothing great about Britain once, mm-hmm. um, but the thing that has clicked with me instantly the most this year is this collaboration with Denzel Curry. Yeah, which is Psycho. a phenomenal song. Yeah. <laughs> so good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and also his performance at the Mercury Prize. Yeah. Carrying around that severed uh, mannequin <laughs> yeah. head that he dressed up like Boris Johnson. Absolutely. Yeah. Fuck Boris. I think. Um, yeah, we've I've focused a lot on his kind of political stance and the things that make him important. I think it is worth mentioning he is actually a phenomenal rapper as well mm-hmm. and a phenomenal lyricist yeah. as well and, and um, yeah, a really great artist. So that's Slow Tide, Nothing Great About Britain, uh, your number 15. My number 15 uh, comes from the band who gave me faith in pop punk in 2019 um, and that band is Weather State uh, uh, with their debut album, long-awaited debut album, Born a Cynic. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, again, before anyone says anything, yes, these people are friends of the podcast. Um, but you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna acclaim my friends when they make fucking great music. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna put my biases aside. <laughs> so, fuck off and get your own podcast. Um, I mean, the state of pop punk. In 2019. The absolute state of it. <laughs> the absolute <laughs> fucking state of it. I mean, you look at the bigger bands, like, I mean, I haven't even bothered with that new Blink-182 album, just because what I've heard from it so far is an absolute bag of toss. It's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> it is really embarrassing. Look at a band like Green Day, okay? They, at the moment, sound like the Black Keys at their very worst, but <laughs> done even worse than that. Yeah. And I like the Black Keys, but... Not all the time, you know. <laughs> and it's oh, it's just cringeworthy. Yeah. And then we look at the bands, you know, that are supposed to be kind of following in their footsteps and you've got bands like All Time Low and Water Parks. Shit. And it's like, fuck off. <laughs> Seriously. I think there are still some bands holding it down. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've sung my praises enough of Newfound Glory yep. on, on this podcast. Story so far, I still mm. think are making great records. Um, we had Trash Boat on the podcast this year as well. Yep. Um, that uh, uh, are a really, really great band. I'm really looking forward to a new album from them, hopefully next year. Mm-hmm. But looking at the state of particularly British pop punk... Um, you know, because American pop punk can pretty much get in the fucking bin at this point... <laughs> Weather State, I think, do it better than most. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just a kind of a, a bit of a gnarlier vibe yes. to, to what Weather State do. It, it's, it kind of counters the squeaky cleanness because mm-hmm. they do have some really catchy melodic choruses. So, yeah, they do, they, they do that, um, that sort of that brattiness. Uh, of, of, you know, kind of the pop punk we know and love, that, you know, all killer, no filler. Um, era, maybe even earlier than that, you know. Um, but they never do it at the detriment of a great chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, 
these these are clearly uh, you know they're they're nineties kids you know they're, yeah. they're they're like us they grew up on the offspring and bad religion and you know early Green Day you mm-hmm. know Duke I mean we don't need to go into <laughs> what they've done this year in terms of if, if you don't know this video for their uh, song Medicate is essentially a rip off of Basket Case isn't it <laughs> but it got um, it got praise on Twitter from Mike Dern yeah so. I mean, it's funny because it's almost pretty much putting Green Day to shame these (laughs) days. Um, I I just think their balance, you know, looking at those influences of that that sort of 90s uh, pre-sanitisation pop punk. Yeah. um, It's it's the balance of kind of might and melody. Mm. Uh, You know, it it gets really pacey on this record and it's it's a hard balance to nail. And um, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and start preaching the sheer originality of weather state you know but nothing nothing is original these days you know everything is kind of borrowed and i I think we need to stop putting pressure on young bands to do something completely original all the time yeah sure we are going to get a band that is going to come along one every now and again and it's going to create something you've never heard before but everything kind of comes from an influence and just because weather state are slightly closer to their influences than another band uh, I don't think that deserves any less praise. No. You know, this is just a great, simple, effective, quick, catchy pop punk record, mm-hmm. and it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, and you know, I say here and say, you know, it's it's, it's it, it cuts through really fast, and it's just very sort of bratty. I do think they've shown some real potential in other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, when we reviewed this record back in, I think it was around May, June time that we reviewed it, I, I was particularly a big fan of the song Emma Lynn, which is slightly more sort of mid-paced. Yeah. Um, and also uh, the song at the end, uh, the song that kind of rounds it off, Cynic, kind of brings in some, you know, some glockenspiel. And yeah. I, I really, really like that. I think they should do it more. Yeah. Um, I've really blitzed through this review very quickly, mm-hmm. but I think that kind of befits the nature of a of an album like Born a Cynic. Absolutely, it is a it's a really great album. We both really really loved it when we reviewed it. Yeah. I think anyone that has any kind of interest in in the sort of melodic punk, even if not necessarily what you think of as pop punk these days, mm. even if you're someone who loves um, early Bad Religion and yeah. stuff like that, Weezer as well. Obviously. Weezer, any anything in in that broad canvas i can't imagine you're not loving this record to be yes honest. yeah absolutely yeah. and it kind of looks at everyone who's kind of aping pop punk these days and says in the very wonderful words of um rivers cuomo hasta luego adios yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean call, call me biased to have included weather state in this list because they're essentially pals um and i'll just tell you to fuck off because this album's great born a cynic is the name of it um, and it was the last release uh, from Failure by Design Records. R I F N P. Yes. Uh, pour one out for Failure by Design Records. Big mm-hmm. supporters. Essentially, extended member of the Bitch and Brew family. Yeah. Uh, throughout its time, and uh, and we love you guys. Thank you for putting out such a great record. Weather State, Born a Cynic, my number fifteen. I think it's about time we hear from some more listeners. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Let's go back to social media. Shall we start with my dad? 
Yeah, Mark Bomber Randon, friend of the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, he said, Renaissance Men by the Wild Hearts. What a surprise. <laughs> um, uh, he said, the song's uh, simply the best they've recorded since Earth Versus, and it rocks like no other this year. It's a real Alan Partridge thing to say, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I love you, Dad, really. Thank you for taking part. Uh, Max Pentecost uh, said uh, it has to be Replica 2019 by 65 Days of Static. Wow. I've not listened to that, route. I've not really listened to 65 Days no, of Static before. I missed them at Arc Tangent. They're a big blind spot for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he says he walks around listening to it at night and you'll feel like you're in a tense sci-fi thriller. That sounds fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it sounds very Blade Runner-y again, yeah. doesn't it? Um, George Phillips, guitar, uh, bassist, sorry, I should say fresh. Yes. Um, how, how you doing, mate? Lovely to hear from you. He said, uh, Morbid Stuff by Pup. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that one's coming up a little bit. Good album. Yes, well, something does tell me it is quite a good album. <laughs> um, and Jamie Holker, again, friend of the podcast, been on before, uh, said, Press Club with Wasted Energy. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> uh, we'll hear from some more listeners in the second part of the show, but thank you very much for taking part, guys. It is time to talk about number 14 on our lists. Yeah, my turn. Uh, yeah, it is your turn. <laughs> yeah, so my number 14 falls with everything not saved will be lost, part two. Oh, you went with part two. I went with part two, and I shall tell you as why. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's been a big year for Foles, I think. A really big year for Great them. year for Foles. Um, one that's seen them really come back, I think, from a bit of a quiet period and really stake their claim as one of the UK's best rock bands. Mm-hmm. I'm not having that they're not a rock band, they're an indie band. They are a rock band. I yeah. Think. Um, and Definitely I think, on this album. Absolutely, yeah. Um, part one, it was a sort of double album that was split into two mm-hmm. very distinct albums, I think, but released in the same year. Part one, um, which we reviewed earlier in the year, um, I think was a really great consolidation of everything Foles have done over four very varied albums previous. Um Part two is a more bold, dark release, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it's got more grit under its fingernails, I think, than the first part. Um, this isn't something I've really read up on, but to my ears, it, it's really a, a band who have spoken about environmental issues before, really reflecting on what could happen to the earth if mm-hmm. the human race continues on its current trajectory and kind of... Um, lamenting the loss of, of so much beautiful stuff which is quite a stark contrast to the first part which is very lush and summery um, it's not as eclectic an album I think as part one um, but it is it's still very eclectic um, you've got a song like The Runner which is sort of um, propelled forward by the big sleazy mm-hmm. rock riff Probably the biggest riffs I think Foles have ever done on this on this album. Yeah. Um, Black Bull is the kind of heavier side of Foles, which they have dipped their toe into before. But I think it's got a more kind of frenetic, loose energy mm-hmm. than their heavier songs have had before. Yeah. Um, like Lightning is just pure blues inspired. <laughs> which, I'd never really thought of it as bluesy, but yeah, it, definitely. Yeah, it is quite bluesy, which is something Foles haven't really done before. Um, and I think the the kind of opus of this album is Neptune, the last song. Mm, um, yeah, 
which is a sprawling, very sprawling, reflective song. It's in a similar vein to Spanish Sahara, which is another very long song. It's a mm-hmm. fan favourite. They always make the kind of centrepiece of the live show. Um, but Neptune, yeah, 10 minutes long. It's, an, it's quite a bold thing for a band like Foles to do, I think, to have a song that long. Um, I think it just really speaks to their kind of boundless creativity and... Um, yeah, I just want to see Foles continue pushing their sound yeah. in all these different directions. Yeah, and I think this just kind of pits part one because because of how dark and gritty mm. it is, and I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could add much more to that. Um, I, I was gutted that I couldn't find a place for this in my list. I do think I definitely prefer part two to part one. Like mm-hmm. you said, part one, I was struggling to kind of put the two together and try and figure out, okay, well, what makes this a double album released in two parts? Because yeah. they kind of feel a little bit they they feel a little bit disjointed from one another. There's yeah. not much that links the two, but when you say it like that, you know, everything that's kind of come before and, you know. Yeah, it's an odd one because I think you get a sense of a, a story being told on part two and when part one came out, I didn't have a sense that it was the first part mm. of a story, but I think the dots are there if you wish yeah. to sort of join them together. And, and I do definitely agree with the fact that it's the best heavier stuff they've done. Yeah. Definitely better than, than what went down, which was a good album, uh, but possibly, you know, it's hard to say the weakest point in their discography because yeah, they've just been really, really consistent. Yeah. But at the same time, I I just, I think it's the album that clicked with me the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's good too. to see them have an amazing kind of, almost like it feels weird to say they've had a resurgence because it doesn't really feel like they went particularly downward they just no, kind of stayed just, in one place yeah didn't they? and now they've started ascending again which absolutely. is absolutely awesome. i think um they should be up there at the top of the kind of more accessible end of you know bands like biffy clyro who have never mm-hmm. really lost sight of their creativity and their originality but are quite accessible mm-hmm. and massive I, I would like to see foals on that kind of stage for sure yeah. for sure okay so that's everything not saved will be lost part two mm-hmm uh, by Foles but also listen to part one because that's yeah. also very 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 good uh, okay uh, so for uh, my next pick we just did a debut album with Weather State and I'm going to do another debut album now um, I don't think going into 2019 there was any other band with more weight on their shoulders when it comes to bringing out a debut album this year than Puppy mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, the album's called The Goat by the way uh, and we're about to discuss whether it really is the goat. Um, well, actually, it's not the goat because it's number fourteen on the albums of twenty nineteen list, not number one on the greatest album of all time list. Sorry, <laughs> lads, I do love you, but you know, come on. Um, it feels a little bit sad that this album hasn't really showed up more in other album of the year lists. Yeah. It's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering whether it's maybe something to do with the fact that the album came out in January. Probably doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the first, again, one of the first albums we reviewed. Mm-hmm. And and much like uh, Curse These Metal Hands, it doesn't take itself too seriously. No. It is an animated and kind of rollicking and almost quite indulgent record. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, what do we love, Bradley? Riffs. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you look so there. confused there. For a I second. love so many things is why I was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought you were just like going to come Custard up. Custard creams. Angel uh, Delight. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. The uh, butterscotch like flavoured Angel Delight. I think I've got some in the cupboard. Oh. But it belongs to my good lady and I dare steal it from her. <laughs> um, but yes, anyway, uh, we do love riffs. Yeah. And this album has plenty of them. Um, 
I, I wonder also whether a lot of people maybe think they saw what was coming with the goat. Yeah. Uh, it didn't really bring a lot of surprises. No. Um, I think it is quite a, a sort of fitting follow-on from, from what came before. But at the same time, uh, I feel like they have doubled down on their sort of more metallic elements mm-hmm. on the goat, uh, especially when you hear songs like Vengeance, Just Like You, I mean, Demons is a closing yeah. track. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just ferocious. There's tons of like... 90s era Metallica on there Mm -hmm. Um, and also a big influence on this record a band that I've really come to enjoy a lot more in kind of retrospect uh, this year is Alice in Chains Mm -hmm. Uh, fucking phenomenal band obviously and uh, and something that Puppy really channels a lot on this record particularly um, Jock Norton um, their singer and guitarist and I do wonder if The Goat is perhaps a product of Puppy being completely fed up of being lumped in with indie bands <laughs> for reasons that are completely ridiculous you know they've quite publicly said before we just get put on like when it came to like when they were coming up in the london scene they get kept getting put on bands like indie band mm-hmm. bills um because there's you know there's there's bits of weezer and 90s alternative rock in their uh, yeah. in their sound and they were just completely fucking fed up with that because they're a bunch of metal grebos <laughs> um uh, and I, I do wonder if if this is kind of a retort to that, and kind of, you know, there there are less of those kind of esoteric smashing pumpkinsy type yeah, moments on this record. Definitely. I think that's maybe that could be a criticism, and perhaps on the next record we'll see them maybe trying to balance it out a little bit more again, much like they did on Volume Two. Mm-hmm. But this. I mean, this is just a fucking great time of a record, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we've seen them at a few festivals this year, mm-hmm. and they've been outrageously good fun. Yeah, they're a brilliant live band. Yeah, yeah exactly. festival ads as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I must admit, while I'm not over-excited to see what Puppy do next, mm-hmm. um, I, I can't deny how much kind of devilish fun I've had listening to this record um, and yeah it was a long old time coming but, Yeah, uh, the wait's been worth it for me I think the goat's fucking awesome yeah backed I wouldn't add too much to that it, it's not in my list um, and I think I'm not really sure why it just it's not an album that I've reached for really since mm. the start of the year I think that probably says more about me yeah, and it does about the album because it is, uh, yeah, it's a really great album. And it's just riffs, isn't it? It's just riffs. <laughs> so well, there there are little embellishments. Yeah, it's not just riffs. It's about, not just riffs. There riffs. Yeah, there is an abundance of riffs, yeah. and we love riffs. <laughs> Bradley, take us on to number thirteen. My number thirteen album of twenty nineteen is the Saint Pierre Snake Invasion. With Caprice Enchanté. Mm. Um, I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm like you can. Just, it's almost like the audio equivalent of me rubbing my thighs, like Vic mm. Reeves. Mm. Snake invasion. Mm, snakey, snakey. <laughs> Go on then, Caprice Enchanté. Saint Pierre Snake Invasion are a band that have been on my radar for a little while, having seen them be brilliant live. Um, I wasn't necessarily expecting them to turn up in 2019 with one of my albums of the year, um, but that's life. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, I am even more, I like it even more than I think I did when we reviewed it. Um, 
I think as the years gone on, I've come to realise what well, they're quite a unique proposition. I think in the kind of British rock mm-hmm. landscape, this kind of off kilter, post hardcore band with a real punk spirit, and there's a lot of punk in there. There's there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot goes into the melting pot, kind of instrumentally and vocally, really. Um, it's lyrically, it's very abrasive. Instrumentally, it's very abrasive. Um, it is like its namesake. It is a bit of a slippery snake. I think <laughs> you can't. I think grasp onto one particular element of their sound for too long before they switch it up and they're doing something else. Yeah. Um, there's something I think for every fan of kind of, of alternative music on here, whether you're someone that likes metal or, or hardcore, or just straight up rock. Um, it's just a really, really phenomenal album. And I think it, it's a band just staking their claim to be one of the best in Britain right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a feeling we might be talking about it a bit later, so I'm going to I am quiet. saying nothing. <laughs> um, so I'm going to end it there, but yeah. Yeah, great album. Yeah, I'm gonna keep my lip button for now. <laughs> funny, funny for me because I never shut up. Yeah. But yeah, I have to keep silent in this moment, not to give away any spoilers. But yeah, um, <laughs> enjoy so, it while it lasts. Caprice on Chante by the the Saint Pierre Snaky 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 Invasion. <laughs> uh, your number thirteen. Yes. Unlucky for some, but not for Saint Pierre. Um, <laughs> right, my number thirteen. Uh, we've already kind of. Uh, delved into hip-hop a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's time for me to take that, that dive. Um, and I think it's been explained before, it, it'll take a lot for me to, to for a modern hip-hop album to break my top 20 yeah. uh, each year. Uh, but when it does, I mean, oh boy, you can see that as a, as a kind of uh, a mark of quality, I yeah. suppose. Uh, not to call myself a tastemaker, but come on, I'm fucking brilliant. Um, clipping. There Existed an Addiction to Blood mm-hmm. is the name of the album. Clipping, I didn't know anything about them beforehand. They they are kind of darlings of, I, I want say alternative hip-hop. The, the, obviously the wave of horrorcore mm-hmm. that's kind of spawned post-Odd Future. Yeah. Um, the only thing I know about them uh, was that obviously their frontman, David Diggs, uh, is in Hamilton uh, playing two roles and he's now going to be Sebastian in The Little Mermaid. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, he's Brilliant. going to be the voice of Sebastian, uh, which is crazy when you listen to Derek. I didn't cast him off the back of this album. It's his work in Hamilton that got him I mean, <laughs> their existence and addiction to blood is basically the antithesis of Disney, isn't it? You know? <laughs> um, I wonder if like the exe- like Bob Iger at Disney yeah. is going to hear this and go, mm, maybe we made a bit of a bad call. <laughs> um, this, is, this is much like the Health album I was saying earlier, a bit of foreshadowing about John Carpenterisms. It's yeah. very sort of cinematic mm-hmm. and it and it revels in creating a, a very unsettling atmosphere using electronics yeah. um I'm, there's there's a song around I'd say around the middle of the record sort of at the end of the first act of the record called La Mala Ordina mm-hmm. uh, which ends in just two and a half minutes of the ugliest distortion mm-hmm. that is just painful to listen to and it end the album ends on a 15 minute audio recording of a piano burning it's just called piano burning that is it have you have you listened to this record? i have listened to this um and i really really love this album i think it just came to my attention that little bit too late mm. to really penetrate this top 20 um 
but it is a phenomenal and a phenomenally weird record. <laughs> it about. really is. It exists very much in the sphere of, uh, you know, kind of when you look at some of the bi- biggest artistic statements of the last few years, when you look at uh, This Is America by Childish Gambino and the mm-hmm. video that accompanied that, when you look at a film like Black Klansman, um, it, it very much exists in that sphere of using black history to make startling comparisons to present day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also got this sort of added layer of grisly, horrific violence. I mean, I haven't got any of the lyrics to hand, but... You kind of like you feel a little bit worried for David Diggs. With yeah. he, he's obviously playing a character, and it's just kind of testament to his storytelling ability. Yeah. Uh, but some of the lyrics on this album and some of the narrative is incredibly unsettling. Definitely. Um, but just as a performer, I mean, David Diggs, his flow is staggering. Mm-hmm. The speed at which he can rap at times, it, and the amount of things he can say in a single breath. It's just unbelievable, yeah. and and will get respect from anyone whether they like hip hop or not. Um, and you know, obviously, I've said a lot about David Diggs. Really need to sort of commend the the uh, the two guys doing the electronics in this band. I say I need to commend them. I don't actually have their names written <laughs> down. Sorry, lads. Um, but they do create some oddly danceable moments on this yeah. record. You know, like you think about songs like Blood of the Fang. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a song towards the end. I think it's immediately following Blood of the Fang called Story Seven. Which is a really sort of um, skittishly dancey track, but it's all a—it's got this sort of weird '80s vampiric uh, sex storyline to it, which is which is bizarre. Yeah, um, it's a very very bizarre record, yeah. and I feel like I go go on for hours about it, but <laughs> I'm not going to because we've already gone on a little bit in this segment of the podcast. To me, it's just a kind of game changer in modern hip hop. Yeah, uh, I I feel like albums only come around like this once every every few years. Mm-hmm. I say that it might not be the last time we dip our toes or my toes anyway into that hip hop pool. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Stay tuned. Foreshadowing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it seems that Shaggy is at the door. No. Um, <laughs> That said, I think I did hear someone knocking at the door earlier, and I didn't knock on the table to kind of, you know, illustrate that. Hang on. Oh, there's someone at the door. (laughs) I wonder who that could be. Hello, Brad and Danny. This is Damien of the St. Pierre Snake Invasion at your service, as always, dutiful and ready to rumble. Uh, So, yeah, my highlights of 2019, getting the album out, number one, of course. Four years in the making, a veritable nightmare at every stage and turn. Um, We got there, though, and got it out. And the response has probably been the highlight of the year and the highlight of my career altogether. Uh, In terms of other bands and other albums, other highlights, uh, USA Nails' album, Life Cinema, absolute masterpiece. John's album incredible um and for me the album of the years uh pile green and gray which is just an absolute remarkable piece of work start to finish absolutely beautiful and um if you haven't heard it yet i'd highly recommend everyone it is uh apart from our album the best album of the year but yeah here's the 2020 and hopefully see you both soon take it easy 
Well, thank you very much, Damien, from the, the St. Pierre Snaky Snaky Band for, uh, for, for stopping by. One of, one of my favourite guests on the podcast this year, Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. What a lovely, lovely man and definitely not a prick, <laughs> uh, as much as he puts himself across to be. Um, right, we've got two more albums each to talk about on this part of the podcast. Yes. Uh, so let's go straight in. Number 12. My number 12 is Full of Hell. With Weeping Choir. Oh, it made it onto your list. I'm so glad. Um, like you were just saying about clipping, uh, I suppose grindcore, this extreme, incredibly extreme end of music is is not really where I exist mm-hmm. in terms of what music I like. Um, so if an album like this ends up in my end of year list, that is a real stamp of quality, I think. Uh, not to... That sounded really cocky, actually. Didn't it? Um, if it's a we're fucking brilliant, and everyone should listen to us. Um, yeah, I think it. It also means that they're doing something really different with it. I think mm-hmm. if they manage to hook me in, because I really only dip my toes into this kind of extremity from time to time. Yeah. Um, I think they're doing something that I think we spoke about Conjurer doing last year when we were talking about that album at mm-hmm. the end of the year. Um, they're bringing a vast array of different heavy genres together into a really horrible cocktail. Um, it's a really, really dynamic record. Yeah. It isn't just a repetitive bludgeon to the face like some of these extreme albums can feel like. Yeah, and that that's that's an incredibly... Uh incredibly admirable thing to do on a on a really kind of brief what is it 27 minutes long yeah uh power violence grind Corey type record absolutely yeah um we again it's another one we reviewed earlier in the year so i'm not going to repeat everything we said there uh we spoke about the trade-off between the two vocalists i think dylan walker and, and samuel de christine are the, are the two vocalists there the, the dynamism and the added range when you get two uh extreme vocalists like this trading off um the little sound bites that come in, like the one at the end of Haunted Arches, um, they just really bolster that sense of a dynamic record where, um, especially the first time you listen to it, you don't really know what's around the corner from song to song, what, yeah. what kind of weird, usually horrible sounds you're going to hear. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it pace-wise, it, it's, it, it kind of switches as well and it alternates between really stomping heaviness to, and, and sort of like head head banging grooves as mm. well it's quite groovy in places yeah it really is yeah yeah, I think that almost gives it a bit of a <laughs> <laughs> gives it a bit of an accessibility absolutely which yeah. is not again not something I'd associate with uh, with this scene of bands up until absolutely, this point absolutely yeah um, and a big part of why I'm, t- I'm talking about it now and I think I'll just round this off uh, by just mentioning um, Armoury of Obsidian Glass which is one we spent a lot of time talking about when we reviewed the record yeah. it's a real highlight for me um, it's just an expansive, uh, quite doomy, yeah. doomiest song on the album, really, really haunting. Uh, it really forms the centrepiece of the album. It's the standout track. That is definitely the standout track. Yeah. Is that the one with Lingua Ignota on is, it? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a phenomenal, and much like I said um, about the Japanese house, I think if you're not someone that exists in this kind of extreme realm of music, but, but you don't mind... Mm-hmm 
bit of extremity to definitely check this out. I think it's it's something different. Yeah, I backed. Yeah. Weeping Choir by Full of Hell. What a lovely album title as well. Yeah, um, yeah so my number 12. Um, we've spoken a lot about, uh, you know, really great new British, uh, I say new, bands from Britain over the last few years. This is among the best of them, among the best new British bands of the decade. Although, after recent events, I'm not all that sure if they're going to be so proud to be called British. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Nervous um, with their third album, Tough Crowd. Got an honourable mention from you earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think just one of the breakout bands of this decade, yeah. within this country at least. Um, fronted by one of, if if not the uh, best songwriter out there at the moment in M. Foster. Um, I think... With with this record, because it, it came quite quickly after everything dies, it's been yeah. it's been what eighteen months, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, so I wasn't expecting to hear a nervous album this year, um, and obviously everything dies uh, was my number two album of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't think you should look into the fact that this is number twelve and that was number two beyond the fact that I've just had I had everything dies for much longer than mm-hmm. I than I had tough crowd. Yeah, and I was actually quite late to the party with this one oddly enough but something I think Nervous needed to do on this album is shift the perspective a little bit to be more group oriented Um, I think the first two Nervous albums are absolutely sensational when it comes to telling M's story Mm. and kind of you know uh, shaping shaping or, or bringing some weight to that narrative bringing something tangible to that narrative which is a very necessary story to tell Absolutely, uh, and something that a lot of people need to hear, whether they're going through the same thing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, it, it does. I was talking with a friend about this, and and you know they were saying, I wonder how the rest of the band feel about performing these songs. Uh, you know about about performing these these kind of uh, songs that surround M's experiences, yeah. and and it did kind of make me think. You know, I, I I wasn't necessarily anti that, but at the same time, I would have I I would like to start hearing some stuff that feels more like a group effort, mm-hmm. and that comes through a hundred percent on this record. I feel like everyone gets their chance to shine. Um, we were saying earlier before we started recording that I think Jack Kenny's one of the best drummers working in the UK right now. Paul Terrace bringing some brilliant things on the keys this year, mm-hmm. and and now we've got Lucinda from Cult Dreams yeah. on on bass, and and they particularly bring some uh, obviously some some great work to the rhythm section, but I really like the work they bring to the backing vocals as well. Really add some lovely little you know added textures, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, They've taken a more of a political focus on this record, which is not in the least bit surprising if you follow M on Twitter. Um, And I feel like that has impacts to varying extents. I think it works brilliantly on songs like Burn, uh, which is this kind of moving ode to community through adversity. And it kind of goes into that acoustic protesty punk stuff that they've not really done before. And I'm really excited to hear more from them on that front. Yeah. Um, I know obviously like a big sort of staple of their set now is a song called They Don't mm-hmm. um, which I think is a great song and it has almost like a weird like musical theatre vaudevillian vibe to it especially with like the vocal uh, patterns mm. um, 
almost like Bugsy Malone. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but um, and that's kind of a, a sort of a very vicious uh, diatribe against the state of policing in this country. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I feel like I can relate to very much. And I, I've I've friends in the in you know in the in the force mm-hmm. or service as they would like us to say in yeah. the fuzz. Um, but uh, you know, I think M has had much more experiences with the police and and the rest of the members of Nervous whether that's kind of directly or indirectly, than I have, I would consider myself to be in quite a privileged position when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. But I think, regardless of how much you can relate to the themes of Tough Crowd, at its core is just rock songwriting at its Mm -hmm. very, very best. And songs that just fill you with warmth. Songs like you know, flies and inconvenient truth. I can't dance Mm -hmm. is is you know is is an absolute anthem. I think the best thing about this is I'm I'm even more intrigued by where they go next because this album's opened so many doors for them stylistically. There's a song called Engulf You which kind of has a little bit of a discordant death cab for cutie vibe yeah. to it. It's very sort of piano driven. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Death Cab on on Narrow Stairs specifically, mm-hmm. which is a which is a highlight in Death Cab's discography for me. But then the song that immediately follows that is fake, and that sounds really sort of fast, gnarly, like drug church kind of yeah. thing going on. Um, and that's awesome to hear from Nervous too. Yeah. And I'd like them to go in either direction, preferably both still, <laughs> um, while also creating some of the most infectious rock songs this country has produced in years. Mm-hmm. So Nervous, Tough Crowd, is my number 12 album. Uh, one more album to talk about each, and yeah. then we're going to... Take a little break. Yeah. Uh, we're going to give the people a couple of days to process all of this. Yeah. And then they're going to come back and hear us talk about number 10 to number 1 yeah. and then a bunch of other stuff as well. Yes. But we're not going to sit here for a couple of days. We're not going to sit here for a couple of days because we do have lives. Yeah. We're going to do it immediately afterwards. But you're going to hear it in a couple of days' time. Time travel. Exactly. <sighs> I kind of <laughs> The well-known noise of time travel. Exactly. Yeah. Not a TARDIS. <laughs> just... <sighs> Your number 11, Brad. My number 11 is Slipknot with We Are Not Your Kind. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, this one, I think, is coloured a lot by how I personally feel. Slipknot was one of the first bands I ever properly fell in love with, I think, when I... Slipknot was such an intriguing proposition when I was in my sort of mid-teens. Um, yeah. Then I just became properly obsessed with them, um... I had the posters out of Kerrang. I just wanted to know everything about them. <laughs> um, and I think it's been a rough decade for Slipknot, um, both outside of the music and their, in their sort of personal lives as people and and in terms of, I think, the music they've released as well. They've released, I think, two albums that aren't really a patch on the first three albums, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. And I think this album feels like a real return to form and something of a rebirth for Slipknot, I think, mm. and a revitalization, definitely. Um, I think notably it takes, it does take elements from All Hope Is Gone and uh, Point Five The Grey Chapter, those big kind of arena feeling elements that they bring in on, on those albums that are present here. Um, but at the same time, it feels like it picks up from Volume 3 mm-hmm. and runs with that 
weird, more varied, dynamic, kind of creepy, unsettling nature yeah. of that album. It's definitely the most like the the biggest comparison you can make to what they've done before. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, songs like Unsainted aren't a million miles away from from the uh, material on their last two albums, really. But there's just something different about it mm-hmm. this time. There's a you can f- genuinely feel the sort of fire in their belly. I hate saying that because I used to have a boss that always used to say you need fire in your belly, and now I catch myself saying it. Sounds painful. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Then maybe what would you do if you had a fire in your belly? Eat some ice cream. Gaviscon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stupid. Um, <laughs> they um, Slipknot are really fired up and pissed off again and I think it comes through in their music from what I've heard it comes through in their live show a lot as well um, it's just so great to hear the biggest metal band of their generation which I think it's fair to say they are yeah I'd say that of that kind of late 90s generation mm-hmm. I think they're the biggest one and it, it's great to hear them just throwing caution to the wind like this and making an album that sounds like it's an album for them first and the fans second I think yeah Um, and they throw in a lot of elements we've not really heard from Slipknot before whether it's the kind of bizarre Celtic singing thing that Corey Taylor's doing on Subway Firth Um, Mm, yeah yeah um, or the entirety of a song like Spiders Um, yeah that's yeah that's that's a that's a highlight for me on that record just in terms of the sort of weird places this album does go. Yeah, and um, it's great to hear a band of their size doing that and, and knowing full well that they're not going to please everyone mm. doing so. Um, for me personally, all of those kind of weird experiments they do, they all land for me. I do think this is a phenomenal album, uh, front to back. Um, and for me personally, it's just great to be able to have a Slipknot album again that I can genuinely shout about and say mm-hmm. this is this is fucking great um yeah I mean, i'm excited to see where they go from here now um they're not the kind of band you ever really want to get comfortable in a sound especially considering they have so few albums for the amount of time they've been around yeah um yeah so it's just a really really exciting time to be a Slipknot fan again and that's why it's my number 11 album of the year you know what i can't argue with any of that i i i think Weirdly, Slipknot almost became like a bit of a caricature of their former selves. Yeah. Like, this time last year, you were kind of a little bit... I feel, I feel like we'd all gone a little bit cold on Slipknot. Mm-hmm. And that's not kind of, you know, disrespecting anything that's kind of happened with, you know, the, the members' personal lives, mm-hmm. uh, you know, since. But especially everything that happened with kind of Chris Fenn's rather unceremonious departure from the band yeah. and, and everything that kind of preceded that almost felt like a sort of... Um, uh, a sort of caricature of their former selves yeah. in a way um, and I don't know if whether that's perhaps influenced the fact that I kind of listened to this record and went yeah this is really great you know Slipknot are great again Yeah. I, I don't know why I haven't gone back to it particularly a lot mm. and I also think the best song they've done of this era of Slipknot is weirdly not on the album and that's All Out Life yeah which is a fantastic song Yeah. it also helps where it's the theme tune to NXT so you know <laughs> NXT NXT sorry I know non-wrestling <laughs> fan here um Anyway, wrestling fans will get it. It's a great tune. Um, so we are not your kind uh, by Slipknot. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put it into an acronym, you know what it nearly says? Wank. Yeah. Wank. And yeah. it's and it's definitely not wank. <laughs> no. Cool. Right. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about my number eleven. And then let's let's take a little pause. Um, so. 
this is a band we have spoken about on a previous episode of the Bitchin' Review, um, but we've not spoken about this album from this band. Uh, it's Press Club from Melbourne, Australia. Um, the album's called Wasted Energy. It's their second album. It's almost an ironic title, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's not been an ounce of Wasted Energy from this band <laughs> in 2019. Um I absolutely love the idea of a rising band like Press Club kind of breaking out of the Australian scene, which is not easy, you know, with all the sort of geographical barriers in this day and age. Um, You know, it's really hard to tour anywhere outside of Australia if you're an Australian band. And they've kind of, they've they've had a lot of support from Hassle Records over here to get over here and, and be put in front of the UK crowds. And they've, from what I've heard, gone down a storm, which is amazing. But... I, I really love the idea of a band like Press Club still striking while the iron while the iron is pretty damn hot. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of a uh, lot of buzz generated as a result of the re-release of uh, Late Teens, mm-hmm. their debut album, uh, which came out in 2018. But we're classing it as a 2019 release, yes. aren't we? Because that's when it came out in the UK, which is where we are based. Um, for the most part, they've kind of gone punkier. On this record, yeah, um, and I say that knowing that there's songs like "Thinking About You," uh, which has almost like a mid to late noughties indie disco vibe, yeah, but better than yeah. you know because there was a lot of shit out at that time. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I despite that track, there's there's songs like "New Year's Eve" and uh, "Get Better," "How Can It Not Be Love," which are just so fast and furious and and catchy. Um, it's one of the catchiest albums of the year for yeah. me. Um, but I think what's what's brilliant about it, this album was actually, I didn't realise this until I was reading the other day, preparing notes for this, uh, and it makes a lot of sense now. This was recorded live in one week mm-hmm. in a self-built studio in Melbourne. How Amazing. like fucking DIY yeah, is that? It's incredible. I love that, and the production job on this really increases that kind of spit and sawdust vibe of this record. Mm-hmm. I would hate, I I hate the idea of like you know them going into with, into a studio with like a super producer and them kind of sanitizing all of that. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, all the all those brilliant little gnarly elements of, of mm. press club. I mean, for the love of God, keep press club away from John Feldman. Yeah. <laughs> um, or just every band ever for that <laughs> um, you know uh, and the band are great but I mean Nat Foster as mm-hmm. as uh, you know a vocalist as a front woman there's nothing particularly showy about her no um, you know she she has a really kind of a, you know a simple and, and kind of blunt delivery uh, she offers some really awesome tonal contrast you know one minute is like really kind of husky uh, and the next it's kind of honey smooth Mm -hmm. and that is a bit of a development from late teens if you ask me you know she was definitely more the former on on late teens Mm -hmm. Um, but on this record I just find myself clinging on to her every word yeah I find her so compelling and and she almost brings at times like there's a song called uh, Behave Mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously a, a you know very empowering uh, message mm-hmm. um, and with that she almost brings like this 70s like I've wrote down the words rock chick mm-hmm. and I've realised in this day and age that like using the word like chick is like you know but 
it does make me think of somewhere between like Stevie Nicks yeah. and Debbie Harry. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, you're keeping kind of quiet at yeah. the moment because reasons. Reasons. Um, Foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, if you haven't heard this record, this is one of the breakout bands of the year for me. Yeah. Uh, Press Club with Wasted Energy and not an ounce of it on this record. I made that joke already. So, yeah. <laughs> that's it of part one, isn't it? Yes. That's the end. We're, the we're end. now uh, at the... That's the first half of our top 20 done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard for some friends. We're going to hear from some more friends in the second part of the show. Uh, and and from you, the listeners as well, who are also our friends yeah. at the end of the day. Uh, this is a wonderful little community. I don't think I want to say much more to kind of round this episode off, apart from maybe if you haven't done so yet, if you're a newcomer to this show, subscribe on your podcast platform of, of preference. Uh, and the second part will be out in just a couple of days from now. Yeah. If you're listening to this when it's hot off the press then you'll be able to hear part two in a couple of days' time. And if you're listening to this a little bit further down the line, then part two's probably out already, and you can go straight into it. <laughs> We've got a lot of really good records to talk about in part two. Yeah. Um, have you got anything else to say in this part, Brad? Uh, no, see you in a couple of days. Well, Look you, after yourself. You just really need a wee now, don't you? <laughs> Right, well that is it from us. Uh, Yeah, don't forget to tune in for part two of this. Thank you very much for listening to part one. Uh, This has been Bitch and Brew. I've been Danny Random. He's been Brad Thorne. And until next time, don't forget to be loud. Be kind. And be bitchin'.